Welcome to Wild Game Dynasty's podcast number 23, April 28, 2019. Folks, uh, this is a special podcast that we have today that we are broadcasting a little late, kind of in the game. Uh, maybe I've described that not perfectly or fr- didn't frame the uh, statement, we'll say. But uh, I had an opportunity, well, we'll say maybe a couple years ago. Um, when I was setting up our Missouri hunts, a buddy of mine and I uh, went out did some advanced scouting, hunted hunted some of the properties, and uh, I was blessed to have made contact with one of our legendary bow hunters. We'll say he is in my book, um, and uh, my buddy and I were blessed to be invited to his house to stop and. Uh, do a what I called at the time as a podcast, even though uh, I wasn't too sure uh, where this was going to take take me or take wh- what I was going to do with this podcast. I knew I was going to use it at a later time, and uh, here I am. So, uh, but uh, this gentleman's name is Barry Wenzel, and I think for a lot of people, um, you all know him really well. N- not maybe on a personal level, because I certainly don't know him on a personal level. But uh, I had a great opportunity to see him two or three times. Uh, my dad, my brother, and I, my nephew went to a uh, bow hunter's uh, uh, wild game dinner down in the Flint area. And him and his brother Gene were guest speakers, and they did a fantastic job. And, of course, they've authored a handful or more books on bow hunting, videos, meaning... Um, you know VHS back in the day, but they were so far ahead of their game that uh, some of that stuff just never caught on till later. And they're still at it. They're still at it well into their seventies. Um, you know the old adage—they forgot more than ten of us will ever remember. I think this is the case. I think, in my opinion, they're in the top five um, bowhunters, and they're doing it the the old-fashioned way. They're they're traditionalists. So, um, anyways, I was blessed. I feel that completely. Um, and because uh, I certainly didn't deserve to uh, be able to sit down with him for about three, almost four hours. And it was just a lot of fun. So we're at a point now where we're putting this together. And uh, with permission from Barry, of course, and, and uh, um, the upcoming podcast jumped around just a tiny bit in a certain area. And I'm going to warn you, he's going to introduce a friend named Richard. All of a sudden, and it's funny because when we were doing this podcast, he was having a heck of a time with his cell phone that he just picked up, and he was having fits with it. And a gentleman walked in the back door to his place, and he introduced him to to us as Richard. But the uh, the context in which it happened, it was really tough to put it together on this podcast in a in a chronological way. But uh, anyways, you'll catch the drift of it because I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll mention it briefly at that point but uh, sit back enjoy this gentleman's uh, journey i call it the chronicles of barry wenzel but it certainly is not necessarily that because uh, he's given us a small snippet of where he has been where he um came from originally and where he ended up today and why he made those choices and and he he gives full credit to his wife, uh, which is a beautiful thing. So, anyways, hey, sit back, enjoy, and we'll roll right into uh, Barry Wenzel.
my in your pleasure, home. My area. pleasure. You know, it's a treat. It's just the timing of this. Yeah. It would have been a lot better in like February. Or like <laughs> yeah. That, not not yeah. on November, well, we, November yeah. 3rd. How much snow do you get uh, here? Yeah. We got lots with dry pavements. I didn't know if Ross and I get, you know, maybe yeah. down in a, down yeah, in one of your bottoms or something like that, slid off, no, slid off the road. No. We have a little bit of snow in the, you know, in the winter, but not, not, not too bad, bad and stuff, but not yeah. like Montana, you know, I mean, I've yeah. 30 years in one. It was one year, that was when I decided to move to Iowa, was uh, we were in Texas pig hunting for a month of February, and my wife came down, and they were cooking and stuff for us, and, uh, we got home in northwestern Montana, and mm -hmm. I had 12 feet of snow in my driveway. I couldn't. I mean, I had to. I had to get a a bucket loader. Yeah, to get front it end out. loader. Yeah, and wow. Get it, get it out and uh, people don't shovel the roof that. off. I mean, again, uh, found your house. Yeah, it was. It was. Underneath. I mean, on top of the roof, I had to shovel yeah. the roof off. Type of thing, and and. Uh, remind you that this is a point that Richard, a close friend of Barry's, uh, walked into the back uh, door of his house through the garage. And uh, I don't think he knew what we were doing necessarily. He had no idea we were running a recorded podcast. And he uh, quickly kind of apologized and backed out. But we, we paused at that point to uh, you know shake hands and tell him we appreciated. Uh, I was kind of bumping into those guys and uh, basically, we took a hunting day right, basically at the pre, I say pre rut or rut time from Barry, and uh, he reminded us that a couple times. But uh, his buddy Richard owns the property that Barry's camp sits on, uh, a couple thousand acres of prime, prime um, Iowa property, and uh, he he lets Barry uh, basically manage that property for him. So it's a certainly a win-win situation so without further ado I'll roll right into this uh, um, next part of the podcast where he immediately uh, mentions Richard tell you what though okay. I mean I have Richard I don't know what is he 75 now or something like that but anyway my point is three years ago he drew Iowa and he was supposed to come the next day whatever the date was you know uh, Monday, so Sunday afternoon, I'm um, in, and, and it, this is his land type of okay. thing. And he, but he's a non-resident. Lives in Idaho. He does it like you're supposed to. He applies, and he yeah. gets it drawn every three years or so. Well, anyway, um, he was due to arrive the next day. Well, that evening, I'm on stand behind the house here, and here comes this buck that um, it, he had. I, I we call them clubfoot because he had a leg injury, a healed back mm -hmm. left leg injury that um, he had obviously broken it and it was, you could see it was twisted a little bit, but he'd walk on it, but when he would stand, he would just kind of just balance the tip of his hoof on it and stuff, mm -hmm. but he really didn't walk with a limp. Anyway, he's pro he was, he's, I, I knew for a fact he was four and a half, because I had passed him up the year before, and it, this is what the, the the interesting part is. It's a known fact if, if a deer has a rear leg injury mm -hmm. on the back left leg, the right antler will usually it's neurological. The, the right antler will be non-typical. Spread that too. You know, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. and which this one was, and I passed him up the year before when he was three and a half, thinking 
you know, should I call him? He's never going to grow anything. And he was, it was a little bachelor, but it was five of them, came by me late season. And the only reason, I, it was like eight yards away, and the only reason I didn't shoot him was it was a, I had one tag left and, and a buck tag, and it was a booner in the area. Mm. So I didn't want to, so I let him go, thinking, you know, reasoning that, you know, I probably should have just called him, get him out of there type of thing. Well, the next year, um, I'm sitting there, and here he comes. It's him. I mean, I can see the same, you know, the injury and the whole works. And he's a typical Boone and Crockett. I mean, he went from like this, from three and a half, and he does not have the warped antler anymore, you know, to a, he's probably right at 170. Wow. And I got him on tape. I mean, he's 15 yards standing right there, you know, eating right in front of me. And I didn't. I didn't shoot him, number one, because he was only four and a half, and I try not to shoot him unless they're five and a half, you know, fully mature, okay? And number two, Richard was arriving the next day, and I didn't want him to come and say, yeah, there he is, you'd have been waiting four years to draw your tag, and there he is hanging in the barn, you know, type of thing, you know? But, so anyway, I let him go, but I, I got some great, great footage. Wow. And here I, I uh, in fact, I got some rare, I don't think it's ever been filmed before, and I, it's absolutely clear as day when this buck, I mean, we're talking close, if not Boone and Crockett, standing there at 15 yards, and he raises his tail and kind of humps his mm -hmm. pelvis and rips out a fart. I mean, I, I got a deer farting on <laughs> film. I mean, I don't think that's ever been done. You know, that's but, pretty good. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. I mean, he... he like that and then drops his tail and walks off you know but anyway <laughs> he um, knew you were there <laughs> yeah oh he did yeah right but haven't seen him since yeah. i mean he, you know i don't know he if somebody, your mind. He he, somebody okay, blasted him or whatever yeah. but you know that's what that's one of the gambles you have to take yeah. you know trying to yeah. to decide you know whether you know I, as i said yeah you, you let him go i mean this is a, everybody looked at the footage and the picture and went you god i can't believe you passed that deer up you know but nine but, out of ten hunters will never see mm -hmm. let alone have them that close yeah right you know but that caliber um, anyway like i said it's just it's one of those things of trying to to yeah. juggle everything and you know and and do it right but uh um and i brought that up because uh, something about clubfoot oh, oh I, that's what i was Talk to the. Uh, I'm no biologist, but I talked to a, a couple deer biologists, mm -hmm. and the one said, "Oh yeah, that the the non-typical antler on the opposite side of the leg injury is neurological. It's common, but I just thought it was once you know non-typical. It always once he had the injury, it was going to be I always. But he said no, that it once the thing healed, it will go back to typical." So it, the deer can go from typical to then have the leg injury, go non-typical the next year, and mm -hmm. then go back after the wound heals yeah. and go back to typical again, which that's exactly what happened on this buck. Be back in Michigan, but, uh, and not entirely all the time, but mm -hmm. our deer just won't live that long. Yeah, right, right. Just, well, you've got so many, so many hunters oh and stuff. Gosh, you know, but There's, you know, things mm -hmm. are changing slightly. Mm -hmm. Uh, some areas improving, some not so much. In the UP, where my one camp is at, mm. it's really tough to uh, have any long-term expectations. Mm. You know, we have to wait. Have, there's two types of tag systems. There's a combo tag, 
you can buy two tags. You can mm -hmm. use two tags, bow, gun, whatever, mm -hmm. or you can buy a single gun tag. The um, single gun tag has to be three or more on one side. Is it three or more or four? Four or more on one side in the UP. Now I think that's a new rule this year. The combo, mm -hmm. the first tag has to be three, I think it is, and then mm -hmm. the second one. You know, a little bit of uh, management there, but mm -hmm. we have such rough winners up there, and yeah, right. we got, now we got to, you know, if you look at the winners as being part of the predation issue, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have the, the wolf, the wolf yeah. and the coyote, and you know, the biggest predation is probably the the hunters, but poultry. Yeah, a little bit too. Okay. Yeah, you know, the, hunt, yeah, the UP. Okay. Yeah, UP is a kind of a different animal. It's its mm -hmm. own. You know, the land of Superior, as a lot of people call them, mm -hmm. but uh, beautiful area, but, you know, you can lose 50% of your deer herd in a winter if mm -hmm. it's that bad. Mm -hmm. They migrate to a common area, mm -hmm. a yard area, which in the lower peninsula, they don't do it so much. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there'll be 300 deer mm -hmm. that'll hit that cedar swamp, and it's kind of a catch-22. Do we want to, from a biology standpoint, and I'm not one either, but they say, hey, you want the deer herd up? But how about the browse? Mm -hmm. They go in there and over browse, mm -hmm. and cedars don't generate mm -hmm. that fast. Mm -hmm. What happens next year? Mm -hmm. So it's like a it's a balancing act, and it's teetering on the edge. So uh, we had a couple rough winters, three rough winters. Last year wasn't so bad for the eastern end of the UP, and saw some improvement. Gee was some double fawns, which mm -hmm. we just don't see up there. Mm -hmm. But you look at mom with two little fawns, you think, man, you got a job on your hands, young lady, because mm -hmm. there's wolves. Um, just the sucker dry too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just you know it's so stressful. That, mm -hmm. So the deer we noticed here. I'm not saying it's easier hunting, but I'm gonna say it's easier hunting for one thing. Just easier for this one thing, mm -hmm. the deer reaction mm -hmm. for scent everything in the UP. I'm not saying it's that much harder, but I mean you think you think something wrong. They've read you. I mean they'll pick you up and they are. Um, just on edge, which mm -hmm. has got to be a stressful thing, which isn't good for the overall health of the herd. But they don't forgive you for anything. If the wind isn't in your favor, mm -hmm. none of them will forgive you for mm -hmm. one thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were sitting there, and, mm -hmm. you know, guys taking their safeties off. So when we, mm -hmm. I have a couple of groups coming in in November, and I've had to back up our uh, stands just a little bit more because. Mm -hmm. They're not going to forgive you. They're going to mm -hmm. they're going to vacate the area because something's after them all the time. Mm -hmm. So you know it's you just that, it's that big over, timber. You know, it's, like I said, when when you have uh, again, I know this timber better than anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that's all I do is mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, it's study it and watch them and think. And I spend more more hours than you know I should. In, in the middle of it and stuff, but you you get to to watch the animals yeah. on a whatever you want to say a daily basis, and I know that buck, you know what he was last year, and who his father probably yeah. was, and you know the you know, and then still um, with the trail cameras, you know you'll get pictures of deer like you know one time. And you know he's there, mm -hmm. you know, or he moved in from miles away, yeah. you know, and he was here and now he's gone. But, you know, like, where, where'd he come from, yeah. you know, or which one's he? All of a sudden. You know, yeah, right. And at this time of year, again, it's, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced, that, you know, has a lot to do with, you know, 
perpetuation of the species, mm -hmm. you know, and not no interbreeding and mm -hmm. stuff. So deer that you lose that, you know, where'd he go to? You got them patterned out. You think you got them patterned out and all of a sudden you don't see him for a month and you think, oh, he got bumped off or hit by a truck mm -hmm. or whatever. And, you Bang. know, and then, you know, and, and then there, there he is, you know, yeah. where's he been, you know, yeah. type of thing, you know, so yeah. you can't convince me. When we hunted in Montana, there was uh, one non-typical that, well, uh, one of our hunters ended up getting it and it scored, uh, was it 213, I think it was, mm. a big non-typical. But anyway, um, that year, wow. um, I I saw him, that non-typical, um, I hunted there every day from, well, I think the season opened September 5th, you know, from September to November, never saw the animal until between, I think it was November 10th, and Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. say two weeks. You know, me, I saw him 10 times wow. in two weeks. Now, you can't convince me that I was there all of September, yeah. all of October, and half of November, you know, and, and I see him 10 times in two weeks and never saw him in two and a half months. A deer wasn't there, and right. I'm sure what it was, he was bedded out in the prairie mm -hmm. with his, in some little coolie with his chin on the ground, you know, and then come November 10th, that's all the does are mm -hmm. down in the river ball of moisture and the river bottoms there and all the lush vegetation and, you know, so that's where the does are and he comes down and, you know, pushing does and, yeah. hey, I think I'll stay, you know, and he'll yeah. stay for a couple of weeks or yeah. a month or whatever, you know, so. Yeah. At any rate, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you have deer that disappear and never come back. You have deer that, you know, show up and where'd he come from? So mm -hmm. it all washes out and yeah. stuff, you know, but it's, it's you got to hand it. When you see a buck, especially if you get one with multiple, where you got 10, 12, 15 trail camera pictures of them, and never lay eyes on them. I mean, you got to be kidding, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, that's impressive, you know, yeah. that they're right there. Type of thing. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, I just uh, I was talking to uh, my contact, uh, Bill. He's from Michigan. He's from Holland, mm -hmm. Michigan, and he's in contact with the farmer. And I call him a leasing agent. I don't know if that's the proper term. Um, Bill works and lives with his family. He's probably um, I'm going to say middle 30s, a young guy. And mm -hmm. But his con or his um, connections back here, he has some of his own property, him and another buddy, and they mm -hmm. love to hunt their own. And uh, then he has some that he, that he sets aside just for him and his buddy to hunt. And then he has some that he has some guys coming in and hunt. And he reserved three spots for us, five guys. I wasn't hunting, so there's four of Ross and some three others. But And then he connects up with a farmer. Mm -hmm. Well not having a real good grasp of that from my perspective. And I'm kind of used to that in some Northern Ontario on, which is much different than the UP. Mm -hmm. um, just these, these pinch points, these draws, these mm -hmm. uh, dry creek bottoms, river bottoms. And so he sends me some maps and I'm looking at that thinking, boy, there's not much hunting, hunting you said, what? Not much hunting space there. Oh yeah, okay. You start walking, oh, you mm -hmm. know, Holy smokes! You mm -hmm. know, there's a ton of it, mm -hmm. and uh, but you can't tell. I mean, a lot of these different. I told Ross. I said, my scouting skills are average at best, anyways. Back home, mm -hmm. out here they're going to be 
likely kindergarten, if I'm lucky, only because of simplistic deer behavior, I think we understand that. Mm -hmm. Pinch point's a pinch point's a pinch point, but mm -hmm. you come out here and it's, yeah, it's, you catch on, but uh, he had us going to a couple spots and I thought, one was his. Mm -hmm. And he saw a lot of deer. Mm -hmm. um, this morning we saw, yeah. it was probably a, I mean, it was a small eight point. Mm -hmm. I was happy, watched him make a scrape. And uh, mm -hmm. I was digging around, I bumped the darn camera on the blind, and so he looked up and I thought, oh, I don't care, we're, you know, we had this in mind, mm -hmm. and we were about ready to bug out anyways, and, and uh, I mean, just, he, and he walked, just walked away, and he kept looking over his shoulder like, hey, hey nice to see his guys, you know, mm -hmm. I thought, man, yeah. at home, we'd be lucky to even see that, and he, really? yeah. bink, phew, gone. Yeah. But the terrain is so much different, that influence of the crops, mm -hmm. yeah, we got agriculture back in Michigan, but... You also, oh, I mean, I've got nothing like the, this. The air, you, you have to put boots on the ground. I mean, uh, as I said, I've I got guys all the time, all over the United States. They'll be sending me maps and, you <laughs> know, with, you yeah. know, and basically, you know, the outlines, you know, and where should I put my tree stand? Well, you know, and I wish I could do it, but there's so many things. I mean, with like even the aerial photos, you can't tell no. is that tree is that are those softwoods or hardwoods? Right. Is that you know, um, it, you know, ele slight? I'm talking a foot or two of elevation change, right. you know, that that lines up with that over there, and meaning that that tree there is nowhere near, near as good as this one here because of the angles or, mm -hmm. you know, the light intensity. You can't tell that no. stuff. From. You need to, to go out there and spend the time, you know, yeah. in the field and stuff. Yeah. And uh, like, the, for example, the Milk River. Mm -hmm. hear it's all over the TV and, you know, all the, the, the program deer, the hunting programs. They, they, the Milk River, Gene and I hunted at Milk River for... 20 years and never saw or heard of another bow hunter. I mean, it was just literally, wow. and we would... What a gift to have. Yeah, we, we would take our vacation the first two weeks of October, which was the last two weeks of the bow season, and we would make a circuit, and we would go up to a ranch, you know, we, we knocked on doors just like mm -hmm. everybody else, but we would get permission to hunt, We'd go and we found over the years, the first day is the best of hunting, you know, it's the best day, the second day was pretty good, the third day was only fair, and the fourth you might as well move on. So we would hunt for three days, leave the tree stands hung, go to a next place, hunt for three days, leave those trees, and then work our way, like a mm -hmm. circuit, and work our way back so when we'd come back it would be fresh again type yeah. of thing. Well, um, as I said, when we lived in northwest Montana, I had ten species. I mean, you know, moose, sheep, goat, antelope, mountain lion, grizz, black, muley, white. I mean, all, 10 species of game that I could hunt if I got, if you drew the tags type of thing on all of them, the moose, sheep, and goat, etc. But I mean, um, I, I hunted whitetails 99% of the time, 95% of the time. You know, that's all I hunted, you know, and it's just because they were my favorite animal. Well, it, up until, and it was in the, uh, I don't remember the year, don't hold me to these years, but it was in the early 90s, one of the ranches that we used to hunt, um, he said he was going to start um, running some hunts, and he wanted to know if we would guide for him. And 
we really, I've always said, you know, I really didn't want, I was too selfish, you know, meaning I, I didn't want to plan and scheme and track and, you know, focus on one giant buck and then just let somebody else shoot it. Kind of like the, the young guy that loves to hunt fish, so he becomes a game warden mm -hmm. and finds that, out he mm -hmm. has no time to hunt mm -hmm. fish. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Or a taxidermist drink, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when do you when do you sleep? Yeah. But anyway, that's we ended up. I said to the guy, okay, we'll try it for one year, and if we like it, you know, we'll do it. So we, Gene and I, did that, and we ended up. We took uh, twenty eight bow hunters a year. We took uh, Gene took two, and I took two. It was for seven weeks of the eleven week season. So we would hunt two weeks on, a week off, two weeks on, a week off, and that's hustling. Yeah, and it was, I mean, in fact, clients, the guys, you know, do you treat everybody like this? Or, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, give me a, I mean, most, uh, most outfitters say, you know, follow the cat eyes down, you know, to the river and then take a right, you know, type. And we would take them in by the hand, you know, you know, put your foot right there, place your left foot right here and your right one over, you know, climb up the bank and, you know, crawl from here to that tree right there. And, you know, and then yeah. I'll come in, you know, you'll hear me whistle and I'll come in and get you at, at what, you yeah. know, 1030 or whatever, you know. But anyway, my point was that over, we did that, and I, I can't remember, seven years, I think it was. Wow. But, and we had, uh, everybody, they said it was the highest success rate. We had. We took over 200 Pope and Young Bucks, or our hunters took over 200, you know, uh, oh Pope and Young gosh. Bucks. And I mean, almost uh, almost everybody, you know, it was 90. Well, it been, there almost had been a waiting list of people that, or. or yeah, the, yes or, and no, but it was, you know, again, was the landowner, Gene and I didn't make very much on it at all the landowner you know again uh, and we had to pay an outfitter um you you couldn't be a guide unless and they weren't but they had a, a a closure they weren't given any more outfitters licenses so we had to pay an outfitter yeah. thousands of dollars for us to have the piece of paper saying that we yeah. could guide under his license type of thing anyway it, as i said it worked out but back to that Mm -hmm. To interrupt, to back mm -hmm. to that, I mean, two things, to have the success of that mm -hmm. caliber of deer, well, I mean, more than two things, I look at that, that the place has to have been scouted, understood that that quality of deer lives there, mm -hmm. and then you have to have a client that has some hunting qualities, or be able to be schooled to a point that, because he's animals at that level of quality of whitetail aren't going to tolerate um, a well, substandard let, let, hunter. Let me say That's this. Amazing. It was a bunch of unique things that fell into place, meaning that we managed the property, but the landowner, um, he had not, he was a bow hunter. He really didn't have time to bow hunt because he was so busy. But my point is he didn't allow any gun hunting. Yeah. And he owned... I don't remember, five miles of river bottom, okay? Mm. So consequently, because that five miles was bow hunting only, all the deer, and you could see it in the eyes of the the animals. In other words, you could go a mile up from his line where they gun hunted, and you could jump deer, and the deer had the fear in their eyes. They would run up next to you and had fear in their eyes, and like, you know, holy, you know, 
they're here, you know, what do we, you yeah. know, whereas you go on the, the property that was bow hunting only, and it was like we were a nuisance. Not, there wasn't any fear. It was like, oh, here they come again, you know. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was like we were just a nuisance to them. So consequently, the, the age structure, because we're only hunting with bows and arrows and the range limitation, um, in other words, you, you weren't taking the cream of the crop every year, every yeah. year, every year. So it gave the deer enough time to grow to full yeah. maturity and stuff. So, and I, I used to, I say we screened our bow hunters. Um, I mean, it wasn't like you made it and he didn't or anything like that, but we would try to, to educate them and say, you know, like when they got there, and it was a high dollar hunt. I mean, again, we had, they slept in a bed and breakfast and they had, <laughs> In fact, I had this one guy says, he says, uh, how come we just can't have meat and potatoes? What's with the flaming pears? You know, <laughs> with flaming pears we had for dessert or something. You know? but it, was but that anyway, in the brochure? Huh? Was that in the brochure? No, I mean, for it was just, no, no. no. Right. But uh, anyway, but, um, what I'm getting at, so it was, it was a high dollar menu. hunt. But they, and I would say to them, uh, now, it's your hunt, but you're allowed one buck. So when you get here, you know, I, I would suggest, you're gonna see a ton of deer, and I said, we're gonna put them in your lap, and we know this place better than anybody, and I, we're gonna do everything possible. You'll have, trust me, you're gonna have multiple, multiple opportunities at, at yeah. very nice bucks, you know. And I'd say, I I would say, you know, if a Boone and Crockett runs up and stands, obviously shoot them, you know, but the first day, I would suggest you sit it out. Pick up your jaw a few times. And yeah, I would suggest you sit it out and see what, you know, be, don't shoot the first deer that comes by because you're going to be kicking yourself the yeah. second day, you know, like, what did I do that for? And, you know, and that's, you know, exact. I mean, I remember guys, you know, and they, they would come in for the hunt and they would, they'd shoot a, in fact, I shouldn't have said it. I, I sometimes I get my mouth gets me in trouble. But he said this, and I won't mention him. You would know him anyway. But the guy, if he happens to see this, yeah. he shot. He shot. It was a four by four, but it was like a hundred incher, mm. you know, oh, type sure. of thing. The first hour of his first day, you know, and uh, and I said, oh man, you know, you know, <laughs> just, you know, whatever, you know, words to the effect of, and he says. What do you mean? This is a nice little buck, and I said you're half right. It's it's little the little part of it's right, you know. But anyway, he was tickled. Uh, he laughed and stuff. He, he you know? was wanting seconds on the flaming pears. Yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> right, right. But it was it was very unique in the respect that it was a managed yeah. property. We took those off of it, but you know, in other words, the, there no the, the neighbors. There was plenty of does yeah. shot up and downstream of it and stuff like that. What, what has become of this place? It's no more. I say it's no more. Um, Quality? It, well, this will happen. EHD hit, episodic hemorrhage yeah. disease, yeah. It hit during the late 90s. And back then, nobody knew anything about it, you know. And I went to the, it was like, it's similar to Blue Tongue, it's a different yeah. strain. But anyway, I went to the uh, Fish and Game and talked to the biologists. In fact, they came to us, they were asking me questions. I mean, you know, they... I'm just a hunter. This is this, you. You're supposed to know that the yeah. you know that some of the questions you're asking me. But anyway, they said 
that it was non-sex specific. It had just as many does as bucks. Okay, it was it was uh, um, similar to blue tongue. Okay, um, that um, again it was transmitted to the these little mites. Yeah, the, the little uh, black, like black flies mm -hmm. with lady eggs on the bottom of the vegetation and, you know, the deer. And, but we were seeing, okay, first of all, the, the things weren't jiving, the numbers weren't jiving, because they said it was non-sex specific, 50-50 bucks and does. Okay, Gina, we found 70, if I remember right, seven zero bucks, four by four or better, and one doe. You know, I mean, it's obviously it's not 50-50, you know, and 70 to 1. And they were all, the we, of the 70 bucks, I, if I remember right, there was like one or two forky, a spike and a forky or something, but, you know, 98, 99% of them were 4 by 4s and better. Oh, and sure. they were all three and a half to five and a half years old prime i mean and you take the age structure out of the herd like that yeah. and it just it totally wipes them out well then um just as mother nature you know things happen we had a the worst winter in a hundred years and it pretty much wiped them out and then they just started to come you could take a couple three years for them to start to come back and it hit again and wow. um I lose track because I don't, I've lived, we moved to Iowa in 99, so, you know, again, it's been, you know, 16, 17 years or whatever, and um, I haven't been back there. I mean, I've been back to see my daughter in western Montana, but um, as far as, you know, the, the Milk River drainage and, you know, um, I understand, and I used to tell the hunters this, you know, that when you're hunting with us this week, in the woods, I'm talking about when you're in the woods in a stand or on a ground blind or whatever, you're going to see somewhere between two and 500 deer a day, you know, whereas, oh you know, in western Montana, you might see five or six deer a day type of thing, you know, but, you know, there was hundreds of them. And, and the reason being is that's, and I use the analogy, it was similar to, uh, if you take all the water out of a out of a pond, except one little strip in the middle, you know where the fish are going to be, and that's the way that the, the Milk River or the river like that because of the moisture, the river water in the river. That's where the cultivated crops are, and that's where because of the the density, the the, mm -hmm. the foliage and everything, all the the lush vegetation is in the bottom. So the deer will come, and it concentrates them in a small area. That particular area was a little windy. Milk River was windy, had a lot of, and you could literally stack deer. So I could take deer from patch A and push them, nudge them, push them into patch B, and then patch C to push them into patch B, and then give it a couple hours and, you know, nudge or push patch B and literally two, three hundred deer will come by you type of thing. You could actually stack them. Wow. And, uh, you know, some guys couldn't handle it. I mean, they, they, you know, I mean, I had situation, in fact, I had f footage that I wouldn't show anybody because people wouldn't believe that it would, these are wild deer. I mean, they thought you're hunting in a penned enclosure with, I mean, we're literally, you know, um, we would have, in fact, uh, Gary Morris, the country singer, mm -hmm. he had 
I don't know, five number one hits back in the 80s or 90s, I don't remember. But anyway, he did, we did a couple, he had his own TV show, and we did a couple TV shows with him. And he had, there was, there was one push that we put on where I did just that. I stacked all the deer into one area and like that. Yeah. And then he, and it's got, at the bottom of the screen, it was it had the, the digital the numbers going mm -hmm. yeah and like i say i don't remember for sure but if i remember it was 11 minutes but deer ran in front of the camera for 11 minutes i mean and I, again i never counted them but there's yeah like a reindeer hundreds reindeer and hundreds micro, yeah micro i mean you know and it you know it again it, Terrible. you yeah. know it's unbelievable type of thing but anyway now you can or I say now, I don't know about like this year, but uh, just two years ago maybe, um, three maybe tops. I remember local guys that hunt over there mm -hmm. tell me that those same fields that might have 200 deer in them, now, you know, you, you go out there at midnight with a spotlight and there's a doe and a fawn. I oh, mean, they're, boy. They're, it's, they're totally gone. And yeah, they'll come back you know, it might take years for them to come back. If they don't get hit with the same problem. Yeah, but then it hits again type of thing, mm -hmm. you know. So anyway, Gene and I, we had been uh, uh, running some, well, again, we were non-residents. I put in for four years for Iowa, never got drawn. And then I, I'll fix you, I'll move there. <laughs> so anyway, we... I, we Gene I, I've seen that come at the last second there. But. We, we made, and again, this is... People don't realize what goes into this. I mean, I remember we, I, I, Gene and I, we flew back here five different times. We'd fly into Des Moines, yeah. rent a vehicle, and drive for a week, checking out different areas of the state, and then fly home, and then you know a month yeah. later come back and spend another week driving around and learning Iowa. And uh, it was one of those deals. In fact, Gene was originally going, he lived a hundred miles south of me in Montana. He lived in a bitter room, I lived in a flathead valley. Anyway, um, he, his, Gene's in-laws lived in Indiana and Gene was thinking of, because the deer were all dying in Montana, we, he says, I think he was gonna go to move to Kansas. And I said, I really like Iowa. Well, as luck would have it, he was visiting his, um, in-laws in Indiana drove and on the way home they went by this place that was for sale with 65 acres and they and he ended up buying it and they, he moved here before I did hmm. you know and uh, um, and my wife bless her heart I mean she moved to Iowa sight unseen I mean wow. she had never even been here before you know, and, I thought I'd and pull I said, some hey, doozies on my wife before. Ooh. What's that? I said, I thought I'd pull some doozies yeah. on my <laughs> wife before. Well, yeah. they, anyway, uh, the, yeah. the, uh, you know, she's been, uh, you know, and frankly, let me, let me say this, you know, everybody says, what's the secret? And in my opinion, the secret to life, not just hunting, is, you know, to, to have the right partner, you know, have... Yeah have somebody that understands and willing and support and you know Susan and I've been married for well, be 50 almost 50 years just you know next summer type of thing wow, nice. and yeah and I and as I said I'd people and I'm not just saying this for the no. camera I mean I'd marry her in a heartbeat again you know I mean she is if she'd have you huh if she'd have yeah, you. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there you go but and the yeah. same thing our kids 
we've got you know two boys and a girl and you know the, the grandkids and they're scattered all over but my my point is that the you know they've been I've been really blessed with a great life yeah. I mean I, there's not very many my kids all of them I mean none of them smoke drink do drugs yeah. they, they all have good jobs and you know yeah. no you know no problem whatsoever but it you know it's it's just it's a matter of of being able to uh, there's not too many people in life that I've met that say, you know could can say if I had to do it over again, there's not very much I'd ever do to change. You know, yeah. pretty much. You don't, you don't need a do-over. No, you just, I'm, I'm yeah. fine. I'm if it's fine a do-over, it's that. a repeat it. You yeah. Know? But anyway, well, what? So you really, it's just we that first question: How long you've been chasing the white? I think you. My made, whole life. Yeah, yeah, your whole life. Yeah, yeah. And that really sums up. Um, I don't care, you know. You're chasing the whitetail mm -hmm. because it's a passion, mm -hmm. but to the point that it it, it changed your address drastically, mm -hmm. at least once, if mm -hmm. not twice. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Or whatever you know. times. I mean, because that is, it's that important. Yeah, because of of the whitetails. Yeah. I mean, being what they are and stuff. Yeah. I guess I, it's it's almost an obsession. As I'm just intrigued. Yeah. What by the species. And that's why, as I said, so many people yeah. couldn't understand, you know, I can't believe you live in Montana and, you know, and you only go elk hunting three or four days a year or, you know, yeah. uh, whatever, and you spend all that time. And that's know. somebody else's uh, passion if they're yeah, going to chase I, the elk. And I, I've always been a big believer in that as far as, you know, what the next guy does, as long as it doesn't interfere with my interests. Yeah. You know, I mean, every I I shoot a recurve bow. I don't gun hunt at all. I don't even own a muzzleloader or um, I don't own a shotgun. I yeah. I don't own a 22. You yeah. know, I mean, I got a 17 caliber for the porch gun, and yeah. you know, and I got a you know some varmint guns for for coyotes yeah. and stuff. But you know, and I got some old guns, you know, hand me downs and yeah. I inherited and so Stick, forth. Yeah, but but as, as I said, I I I can't even remember the last animal I shot with a with a wow. rifle and I don't care what the next guy does as, right you know as long as, and the same with the bows um, you know I shoot a recurve and I've always shot a recurve I mean before compounds even came out type of thing I mean, I've been in it long enough but I could care less like you know Richard shoots a, a compound yeah. I could care I had no right. no problem whatsoever Absolutely. type of thing you know yeah. as I said it's just kind of you know, just a personal thing, yeah. but people think because I shoot a recurve that I'm anti-compounder. No, not at all type of thing, you know, but as we, long as it doesn't interfere right. with... Right, I was just going to say, yeah. You know, what I do type of thing. But well, we had a guy in camp that shot a compound and he said to Ross, my buddy, mm -hmm. and of course Ross shoots a, uh, uh, I call them horizontals, but you know. A crossbow? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Ross told me on the way here, he, I said, I'm surprised you didn't bring your compound because he really likes to shoot his compound. And he said, Gary, in fairness to the game, he said, I have not had enough time to feel that proficient in that compound. Mm -hmm. I dare not. This is not fair. Mm -hmm. says, but I can't turn on the opportunity to come out and see what I can do out here for four or five days. So, mm -hmm. you know, on that sense, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, well, I'm opinionated on that too, and uh, you might, we might not want to get into that. Yeah. You well, know. I know, you know, as far as I mean, the crossbow, you know, I don't mind them at all during the right. gun season, right. but I don't think they have a, a right yeah. to be. But the, the seasons that were 
made and yep. you know given to us because of it, uh, a, a bow, a traditional bow being a handheld, hand-drawn, yep. you know, um, you know, short range. Yeah. Now weapon. we look at the yeah. the uh, uh, the Benjamin Airbow. Oh. I mean, when we take this to the next notch. Yeah, right. Some legislative, gonna, yeah. They're going to screw around and invent a rifle. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah. and that's yeah. just, just <laughs> the, way, the way I look at it. But you know, oh, um, I, and, and then, frankly, I'm the same of the same opinion. And, and I'll just tell you this: I don't know what your opinion is on it, but uh, on on muzzle loaders, I think the muzzle loader seasons were basically started for. Flintlocks, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, uh, and I think that's cool. The traditional, but when, yeah, but when you have progressed yeah. to the extent where a, a primitive weapon muzzleloader has a thumbhole stock and a bipod and a and a yeah. target scope, and you you know the the inline and they can shoot them in the eyeball at two hundred yards. Absolutely, that's not yeah. a primitive no. weapon, you no. know. And they shouldn't they, fit the definition of that. Huh? Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. that's just, just my opinion yeah. type of thing. Well, no, that that's good. That's that's the mm -hmm. information that you know when I sat down. Guys with need other, to think about. Absolutely, when mm -hmm. we were thought. Because uh, that's my whole project, really is. Mm -hmm. I know that you know my whole project really is is about the future of hunting. Mm -hmm. If we if we nail it down or boil it down, mm -hmm. uh, now that topic has been discussed what a million times, if not two million mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. But um, and that's kind of the, the whole crux of it. Is, mm -hmm. um, I, I mentioned that to a couple of guys in a similar. We were doing the same thing mm -hmm. on a couple of guys back back in Michigan, and they said the same thing. And then of course I decide to play a little bit of devil's advocate, so I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Because that's where it leads to is, where do you see this with the youth? With our, because, well, you know, I'll tell you, you know, that we, we are seeing a, uh, although one guy said he, he, he volunteers to teach um, mm -hmm. uh, hunter safety back in Michigan. Mm -hmm. He says, we're filling some classrooms, Gary. And we didn't fill them a few years ago. We're seeing a little bit of a trend up. The other folks I don't think are seeing that, but they all agreed that um, you know, some common things about, hey, what are some cool ideas, some neat, effective ideas, not mm -hmm. so much cool, but effective ideas to, um, to reach out to the youth without compromising the sport. It is a real challenge because it's a, I, I hate to say a gray area, but you have to be real careful on how, it's trying to, it's, it's like, me telling you how I raised my kids and what you should be doing or whatever, it, what is good for me might not necessarily be, be good for yourself type of thing. And the kids these days um, are uh, being handed everything. Um, they all want to be Michael Jordans or whatever, yeah. but they don't want to have to shoot hoops. Yeah. I don't.
Folks, thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 23. And uh, this is the first part and in, in a several part series of the Chronicles of Barry Wenzel through the eyes of uh, Wild Game Dynasty. And we were blessed to be able to sit down with him for about three and a half, almost four hours. And went on kind of a tour of his history, where he grew up, where he went to school, when he lived in Montana, and of course uh, the deer hunting couldn't get any better. It was along that Milk River. Uh, we can only imagine sitting there and seeing nothing less than 200 up to 500 white-tailed deer in a setting. No wonder that they had a 95 to 98 percent Pope and Young record with all their clients for seven straight years. Unbelievable. And that's, of course, where they, uh, I shouldn't say cut their teeth. They've cut their teeth long before that. But I think uh, it seemed to be apparent to me that that's where they cut their teeth on the Pope and record um, reputation that they had at, the, at that time. Yeah, people would see those deer, but those two, Barry and Gene, identical twin brothers, were able to put those deer right in those hunters' laps. So uh, it was a done deal when you went there to hunt. Um, you were there to shoot a uh, record book buck. End of story. Anyways, hey, enough of my uh, jabbering on. We appreciate you queuing in with us. And this week's podcast is brought to you by... Wildcard Outdoor Adventures is a husband and wife team that promote, encourage, and educate women and children of all ages and experience levels in the outdoors. Wildcard Outdoor Adventures' core philosophy is to get more women and children into the outdoors, protecting the freedom to hunt and dedication to wildlife conservation. Wildcard Outdoor Adventures organizes events that will give women and children an opportunity to experience their very own outdoor adventure. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, our website at www.wildcardoutdoors.com. Folks, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in to episode number twenty three. We'll catch you uh, next week with episode number twenty four, which will be a second part in a several part series of Barry Wenzel. Um, you're going to be treated to another uh, round of uh, um, the Brothers of the Bow.